All right, so Risto here with George Mason University. Uh, we're talking to Stephanie Benny and Tim Fletcher today. Uh, they're both at Brock University in Canada, which you can look up on the map. It is just outside of Niagara Falls and across Lake Ontario from Toronto. Um, but enough about geography. Uh, here we go with a new episode of Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education. The article we're highlighting today is titled Using Features of Meaningful Experiences to Guide Primary Physical Education Practice. Uh, it was just published in 2018 in European Physical Education Review, uh, one of the top impact factors in our field uh, for journals. Uh, and then today's guests are the co-authors of this uh, paper, Stephanie Benny and Tim Fletcher. Uh, welcome to the podcast and thanks for taking the time to chat about your paper and I'm also excited uh, to learn how to pronounce your other co-author's name as I see it on a bunch of papers and I've never met this person. So maybe you can enlighten me a little bit. Yes. Yeah, so it doesn't uh, doesn't sound as good without an Irish accent, but uh, Deirdre, apologies if I get this wrong. It's uh, <laughs> Deirdre Necronine. Awesome. Thank you. So um, I love the topic of the paper. Um, I actually... Um, responded to a question in my uh, secondary methods class uh, referring to this paper when one student asked me a question and I said, just wait for the podcast, this is coming <laughs> up. Um, so it discusses uh, providing meaningful experiences in PE, which I think we need a bit more of in certain cases. Um, in your introduction, you link to a couple concepts from motivation, such as uh, that individuals are more likely to commit to physical activity based on intrinsic motivational factors, like you talk about meaningfulness, satisfaction they get, the pleasure they get, or the joy, uh, then for extrinsic reasons, such as you know the improved physical fitness and weight management. How does that relate to physical education? Um, well, I think we feel at the moment that uh, in a lot of places, um, the emphasis in PE coming from various places tends to be more towards the fitness and weight uh, weight management side of things. Uh, and we think that that emphasis is misplaced and so that you can still have the physical fitness and weight management, but instead of prioritizing that, if we prioritize things like meaningfulness, satisfaction, pleasure, and joy, um, the fitness and weight management will come as a secondary outcome, but it won't necessarily lead to that commitment. Um, the you know, self-determination uh, researchers have shown that the intrinsic motivational factors are more likely to lead to lifelong participation. So if we emphasize those, hopefully what we're all trying to do is to get kids to develop a passion um, for physical activity and movement so that they can do it um, both inside and outside of school. Awesome. And so I, I love the way that you've set up this research. You actually conducted an empirical review of literature on this specific topic, and then you went in and implemented uh, this research based on what you found, which is how you should do it. Uh, so can you give us a brief summary in you know, what is regarded as meaningfulness by young people in PE and youth sport? Uh, well, in short, basically our review found support for uh, four of Scott Kretschmer's five features that influence meaningfulness. 
So that includes uh, social interaction, fun, challenge, and then increased motor competence. And to that list, we added this idea of personally relevant learning. So basically, students are understanding what they're learning, why it matters, and then how it relates to broader aspects of their lives. We're still sort of investigating Kretschmar's idea of delight, which is his, his fifth feature, and how that influences children's movement experiences, and then to what extent we can make room for that in physical education. Okay, so... I, I guess the logical follow-up here is uh, we know what we should prioritize thanks to your review, but how do practicing teachers do what you've kind of highlighted in that review? Yeah, no, that's really been the big question for us. Uh, we reviewed some papers that give us a little bit of direction on the how. Things like, you know, certain pedagogical models like sport education, game-centered approaches, though the meaningfulness bit tended to be sort of more of a, a byproduct rather than a focus of those approaches. And then uh, additionally, in that review, we looked at a study by Linda Nilges that offers some different instructional strategies for promoting meaning, specifically in dance in physical education. And there's definitely some helpful points in there for sure. But again, you know, we felt that a more coherent pedagogical approach that prioritizes meaningfulness was really lacking. So that's sort of where this study comes in. After having identified these different features in the literature, we wanted to test the extent to which those features could be used as sort of a guide or a framework to prioritize meaningfulness. And then, you know, obviously whether or not that had an influence on the meaningfulness of students' experiences of physical education. Right. And Stephanie, you uh, used a self-study method. Can you explain that briefly? Yeah, I'll let Tim explain that because he's kind of the pro. <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll give it uh, my best shot. So uh, self-study is a um, specific approach to practitioner research. Um, Deirdre and I had used it quite a bit with our work as teacher educators and much of the self-study work had focused on teacher educators. Uh, there's some advocates for it, um, for use in teachers. Actually, one of your colleagues there, George Mason, um, there, Risto uh, Anastasia Samaras. She's written a really good book on uh, self-study for teaching practice. And so, um, and I should say, from, I should have said this from the outset, that uh, Stephanie actually conducted this study as an undergraduate student and also led the literature review, which I think in, its, in and of itself is pretty amazing and uh, credit to her. That is very uh, amazing for an undergraduate. As that, that's impressive. Yeah, so we're very lucky to uh, to be working with her. But um, I was kind of wondering how many years that you were you were in school for, Stephanie. Because I'm like, all right, you did this uh, review research, and then you're publishing this paper in 2018, and now it makes sense that you are conducting research while you were an undergraduate. Yeah. Yeah. So she was she was looking for a topic or thinking about a topic for her undergraduate thesis, um, and she was teaching part time uh, in a school at the same time, which I'll let her talk more about. But um, we felt that self study might be appropriate here, given that she wanted to focus on something she was interested in. She wanted to improve her professional practice as a teacher, and also have the you know the research outcome. Um, as well. So self-study is, I guess, a focus on yourself, so your identity, in tandem with the practices that you enact. So think a lot about personal beliefs, um, values that you hold, and how you enact those or not in practice. 
Okay. And can you give me a little bit of context about this? So why specifically chose a self-study? Where did it come from? Um, yeah, so for me, uh, it's really started with a desire to improve my own teaching practice. I mean, I was an undergraduate student, but I was work- teaching part-time in a private school where they previously didn't really have a PE program, so I was sort of helping them with that. Um, and then I was introduced to this idea of self-study, but also prioritizing meaningfulness as an undergraduate student in one of Tim's classes. And both of them really resonated with me right away. Um So the school I was teaching in was kind of this, had this mix of privately and homeschooled students who didn't, weren't getting phys ed anywhere else. And because the student body was really small, I had this range of ages in my class of different grades in the same class all at the same time. And I felt like that was presenting this really unique challenge to me. Uh, I really wanted to be able to prioritize meaningfulness for my students. And so I kind of felt that maybe, you know, I could use self-study and uh, take this framework of features, put it into practice and then sort of study that experience. Okay. And your self-study was over a period of eight weeks. You taught 16 lessons. Uh, You used TGFU, Teaching Games for Understanding model to start, uh, which we actually just uh, highlighted on a podcast uh, a few episodes ago. Uh, But then you moved to a sport education model. Now, my question is, how did you incorporate meaningful experiences into this model and your teaching, and why did you change models along the way? Uh, well, I had previously used both of these models with my students, and I felt that there were kind of elements of each one that were helpful. Um, but given the context in which I was teaching, where I had this wide range of ages in one classroom, I found that a lot of the time the younger students were really drawn to the type of experience they would get from TGFU, but the older students tended to prefer that more sort of genuine sporting feel of sport education. So really, ultimately, my decision to use both was based on, you know, my prioritization on meaningfulness and feeling that ultimately, this would probably be the way that I could kind of reach everyone in my classroom. Um, So we ended up focusing a lot on, you know, motor and tactical development through TGFU. And then we used sport education and to sort of bring it all together in the end and, and have this sort of culminating tournament and festival. And then, you know, in terms of, of bringing meaningfulness into the lessons, it really, um, to me, it came down to looking for ways that I could prioritize meaningfulness through placing a strong emphasis on each of those features that we talked about before and just really uh, bringing that into my planning and teaching in every lesson. So some of them, I you know, I felt fairly strongly were fairly strongly accounted for through the model. Um, you know, like in TGFU, you get a real focus on motor competence. And then in uh, in sport education, it's more of a focus on social interaction. But in either case, I was just really focused on bringing those features into each lesson. Awesome. And I'm really excited to get into these results because I, I, I love that section. But um, as per usual, I'm going to do a huge injustice to your data collection section, which I always feel bad doing when I see a good uh, analysis section uh, to get to the findings. But just as a summary, uh, you interviewed four of the students, uh, got exit slips from others. Um, you also had a ton of other qualitative data like lesson plans, personal reflections. You used Tim as a critical friend who asked those tough questions about your process. 
Um, some of these conversations with Tim also became data as they were recorded. So all in all, you have a lot of data to triangulate from. Uh, but going into your findings and discussion section, um, you started off with an explanation of how you actually made the meaningfulness piece explicit to the students. Uh, can you explain that? Yeah, it was really uh, important to me to be really explicit with my students about my intention to prioritize meaningfulness. And I really wanted to invite them to play an active role in that process. So, you know, we kind of engaged in some dialogue at the beginning around, you know, what this idea of meaningfulness meant to me, and then, you know, wanting to understand what it meant to them. Um, and then I presented the list of features to them as basically like a suggestion of some of the things that I thought might influence the meaningfulness of this experiences. I, I put them up on the wall in the gym and we, we left that there and uh, so that we could talk about it. Um, we used age appropriate terminology and changed that up a little bit. But and I also invited them to add other things that they thought were maybe factors, you know, as we reflected on their experiences across the unit. And so the main finding you discovered was about the ways you, Stephanie, uh, use the features of meaningful experiences to guide planning decisions. Um, I'm thinking that meaningful experiences didn't just magically happen and you had to really work at that, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I really did invest a really intentional effort into prioritizing meaningfulness through those features. Um, I, I initially did that by planning for the features in each lesson, uh, but then obviously, you know, I also felt that the decisions I was making while I was teaching were really critical to that as well. So I think it was about just being really sensitive to the situation. Uh, in some ways, I found that some of the features, you know, were easier to plan for ahead of time. Um, so, you know, for example, I would try to make a lot of the elements of the lesson into sort of game-based activities to promote fun, or I would plan for different grouping strategies to promote variety in their social interactions. But then there were other features that I felt were a little bit harder to plan for. So things like helping my students find that just right level of challenge in the moment, uh, and then looking for ways to connect what we were learning to their experiences beyond the classroom to sort of promote that idea of relevance. So it was definitely just this balance between planning, reflecting in action and on my action, and then just, just being flexible in the moment, but in all of that, just being very purposeful in prioritizing those features. Yeah. And it seems like having a solid understanding of what meaningfulness consists of definitely helps in this situation. Um, I know you, you also kind of spoke to your evolving understanding of meaningfulness as well as um, there was this thought of how do I keep meaningfulness in the unit? And I think that that's super important because you want to keep that at the front of your mind the whole time. Uh, when you're planning a unit this step, you don't want to just get into, I need to push the TGFU model or the sport education model. So um, how, how are you able to keep that at the front of your mind the whole time? Yeah, well, I had, I had really made a conscious decision ahead of time that I was going to, you know, prioritize meaningfulness through the features. Uh, but then once I started teaching this way, there were definitely times when I found that that was you know, it was challenging and that it sort of clashed with the way that I often did things. So it really forced me to kind of stop and ask myself, okay, why am I doing this? Do I actually have a, a logical reason for doing this this way? And one of the things that I, I really struggled with um, was how much of a focus to place on competition for my students. So, you know, I grew up 
playing sports competitively. I felt that that was a really huge part of what made movement meaningful for me. But my students seemed to really have mixed feelings about it. And ultimately, I realized that when we focused too much on, you know, overt elements of competition, keeping score, placing a real focus on that. Several of those features that I was trying so hard to prioritize were being compromised. You know, my students wouldn't take time to execute a skill properly or their social interactions would start to break down. There'd be cheating, they're blaming others, not giving everyone the opportunity to really play and so on. So really in terms of prioritizing meaningfulness through the features, I kind of had to just make this decision that I was really going to commit to that and then let that prioritization you know, guide my decision making. And I think that having those features to be able to point to to sort of justify my my decisions was really helpful for me, um, but also really helpful for my students. And we were able to talk through a lot of those things. So speaking of your students, uh, how much control did the students have in the lessons? Because I'm just thinking, you know, that choice must play some part in enjoyment, right? So um, you know, looking at attitude theory, theory, plan behavior, you're going to continue doing the activities that you enjoy in this. You're going to choose to continue doing them. Um, how did you incorporate autonomy into this? Yeah, using autonomy supportive strategies was a really, really influential part of the process for me. Um, it, it was something that came out quite strong in our literature review. So I went into this study really wanting to provide my students with a lot of opportunities to make choices for themselves. So, you know, that might be in things like choosing the type of equipment they're going to use, how difficult a task should be for them, modifying the rules of games and things like that, but also just, you know, really allowing them to be part of of more general decision-making processes throughout the unit. So some of that I I planned for, but then again, you know, it did come down to just being very flexible in my approach while I was teaching. And honestly, I was really quite nervous about it at the beginning, just kind of feeling a little bit of pressure, like, oh, I can't let things get out of hand here. Or, you know, what if they misuse the opportunity to make choices and they're always taking the path of least resistance? Just really had a lot of doubts about it. Um, but it really did turn out to be quite the opposite. Like my res- my students responded so well and I just felt that it really gave them a sense of ownership over their learning and really promoted a level of student-centered learning that I hadn't really been able to achieve in my classroom before. So I think it really ultimately became a very important uh, part of the meaningfulness of their experiences and they, they talked about that in interviews and exit slips. And I'm, I'm assuming this wasn't all sunshine and rainbows and you know, taking on a project like this, being a researcher while you're teaching a span of five different grades or, you know, ton, you know, making sure that you're enacting meaningfulness. Uh, can you describe some challenges you faced uh, during this project? Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest challenges for me um, was really allowing my conception of meaningfulness to be sort of transformed or changed throughout the process. You know, I sort of came to the study with this idea that meaningfulness does mean that everything is sunshine and rainbows. And so maybe the the first level of change for me was recognizing that, you know what, planning for every Every element of every lesson to be meaningful all the time is actually quite unrealistic. And uh, just making that conceptual shift was challenging, but I think it was also a little bit of a relief. Uh, But then to kind of take it a step further, I started to realize that, you know, maybe some of those moments that didn't feel or look so great at the time could actually still be meaningful 
for my students in a bigger picture. So we kind of started to talk about this idea of, you know, experiencing those features in the short term where you do have those really feel good moments, but then also experiencing them in the long term where a moment that doesn't necessarily feel so good at the time can sort of become foundational to a more meaningful experience in the long term. You know, so For instance, there were a lot of times when I really struggled with how much my students seemed to be struggling with managing their social interactions. You know, there's a lot of arguing, people are being left out and whatever. And so initially I wanted to just jump in and make sure that everybody was happy all the time till I started to realize that, hey, you know what, working through these things, though they're unpleasant at the time, could actually lead to this sort of deeper, more significant experience in the long term when they've they've really had the opportunity to work through that together. Yeah. One, one of the most fascinating things I found here was that uh, the students began to evaluate the meaningfulness of their experiences in one of two extremes. Uh, on, on a spectrum, essentially. So meaning they either found it extravagantly meaningful or by default, oh, this is meaningful. It, this is meaningless, right? So they are either all the way, like you're pushing meaningfulness, they are finding it. And if they don't find it just a little bit, by default, it just goes into the polar opposite. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I might uh, jump in here is though because uh, this was something that Steph and I talked about in this critical friendship uh, process, and we both, um, I can remember the, the day exactly we were sitting in my office talking about this and uh, some of the struggles, and it took me by surprise. I certainly wasn't expecting the students to react like that. So we it took us um, some time to come up with the idea of trying to promote um, the way that we talked about meaningfulness is not something just being meaningful and if it wasn't therefore it was meaningless because that was the interpretation that the students were having so um steph and i said like what if we try to think about things as being toward meaningful um and so using a scale i think we developed like we just said you know if you think of it on a scale Mm -hmm. of zero to ten um is this going going you know towards the side that's 10 or is it going more towards the side that's zero so then they could see well you know if something was seven or eight out of 10 on a subjective level that's still pretty good it doesn't mean that because it's not a 10 it's a zero um, there's different grades of it so um, and then Steph how did the students respond um, yeah I think they responded really well to it you know on the one hand it gave us sort of a language where we could actually talk about those ex- experiences a little bit more um, and they could sort of express that but I think it also maybe challenged their perception of meaningfulness and just the idea that it, it didn't have to be you know this amazing experience that maybe doesn't happen all the time but they could see hey you know what this was actually pretty good this was quite meaningful and then also because we could talk about it that way when it was more toward meaningless then we sort of we could sort of say okay well what's bringing it in that direction and we had this ability to sort of use those features to kind of kind of try and bring it back toward meaningful. Right. And it seems like a good life lesson to learn for those students as well at, at a young age of, you know, if it's not the best ever, it's still worth doing. If something's mm-hmm. a seven or an eight fun, like, hey, that's still like a really fun activity or game or whatever to play. Yeah. Yeah. They were, it was fun. They were really thinking about things as all or nothing um, yeah. in some yeah. ways. So, yeah. Yeah. So this paper really put into action what you found in that 2017 review of Lit. 
um, and actually testing a framework that does indeed consist of categories that are meant to provide meaning. And I guess in kind of wrapping this up, I, I want to really know what you learned as first an educator and then as a researcher conducting this study. Yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely so much that I learned as an educator, I mean, in terms of prioritizing meaningfulness and a lot of that we've kind of touched on briefly, but, you know, some of the keys were just like using those features to guide my planning and teaching, um, just really how important it is to be reflective, both, you know, of the process, but also having that sort of flexibility while teaching, reflecting kind of in the moment there. Um, and then, you know, providing my students with that sort of level of autonomy support and just how valuable that was. I think ultimately a really big takeaway uh, for me as a teacher was, you know, this sort of commitment to prioritizing meaningfulness for my students, both in the short term and more long term ways, just as much as I can. Um, I definitely also gained a lot, both as a teacher and a researcher, from the self-study process and just really the, the depth of reflection that required and just making me sort of stop and ask questions of myself and, and just be more reflective. Um, I think also as a researcher that I really walked away from this with a deep sense of how important it is, I think, to involve teachers in the research process, um, but also, you know, with an excitement about the potential of this approach and, and maybe being able to share that. But then, you know, with a, quite a few questions and ideas that, that I think are maybe unanswered, but sort of beginning to bear themselves out now as we kind of conduct some other studies. Great segue into my next question. What's the, uh, what are the next steps for research on meaningfulness in physical education? Well, we've been able to take Steph's work and then another uh, work of another um, student slash teacher um, over in Ireland, Kiara Griffin, um, who did something similar um, in Ireland. So we've been able to use Steph's work and Kiara's work as pilots, if you like, um, to try to now take this to to more teachers out in the field. So we just got a grant from the uh, Canadian Federal Agency, the Social Sciences Humanities Research Council. So that's allowing us now to take this out to some teachers, for a small sample of teachers to start with, to try to let them work with it and play with it, um, and also to give us some feedback on how it might be refined. Um, so we realize that, you know, we can't say that this works for sure just based on Steph's experience. So we're trying to get some input there. And, um, I mean, Steph now learning to be a researcher, she's now leading that side of our uh, of our project. So she's being able to use her experiences to help teachers, but also to learn from the teachers um, for her own practice as an educator and as a researcher as well. So we're gradually starting to scale up. Um, we don't think this is the answer or anything like that, but um, I think what one thing that it shows and um, I guess gives me a bit more conviction about and any students who might be listening out there, you know, you're asked constantly to write what's your philosophy of education and or your vision or something like mm -hmm. that. But I think Steph's experience really showed us that having that vision, whether it's meaningfulness or whatever it might be, if you have the tools to put that into action, that can really help you become a better teacher, teach in coherent ways and those sorts of things. Yeah, and I think, uh, Stephanie, you have a great example of how to become a researcher and doing the research in the proper way. I'm you know, truly impressed with the 
with the way that you went about this systematically of first figuring out, doing a really in-depth literature review, running these two side-by-side studies in Ireland and here, and then building on that, getting a grant to then start implementing it on a larger level. Um, I mean, that's just that's just good research. So um, kudos to you uh, both on that. Um, and I want to thank you for your time. It's it's always super interesting for me to hear these experiences from first a point of view of the teacher as a researcher. Uh, I know it's not easy to conduct um, and put those two hats on at the same time of research and teaching. And it's not easy to have yourself out there explaining what you do, setting yourself up for commentary from the masses. So um, we all really appreciate your work. Um, can you let people know where they can find more information on current work you're doing on uh, each of your social media, the the blog that, uh, Tim, you run? Yeah, so um, Steph and I each have our individual Twitter things. I'm Tim Fletcher 12. Yeah, I'm just at Steph Benny. Um, and then we have one for our, our team, which is at Meaningful PE. Uh, we have a website which is meaningfulpe.wordpress.com. Um, and so for teachers out there or people whose uh, libraries might not subscribe to the big publishers, we have all our papers in their sort of accepted final format, just maybe not pretty PDFs. Um, so all of our work can be accessed for free. And I, I think, Risto, you said you might be able to put the link um, there on the... Yep. In the notes or something like that, which would be great. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't afford the open access costs <laughs> on this one. Yeah, they, they, are, they are pricey. So I, I will link to the, uh, the blog, the website, uh, and both of your uh, Twitter handles there. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, we'll also put a citation for those who are looking for the full citation. That will be in the notes section. Uh, and so that's all we have for you on uh, this episode. And thanks for listening. Thanks for having us.